Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is Chris Jackson and Fred and I were just talking about new school leadership and how some of the older personalities and industries across the world are struggling to come to terms with people they label as Zen, Gen Z or Gen Y or millennials or, <laughs> well, or we what got, have you. And then, we got it in our local politics here is uh, our Speaker of the House, uh, Nancy Pelosi, uh, is saying, I'll, you know, stay out my term or might maybe get elected again, but I'm going to step down from leadership. It's time for the new generation to take over. I think she's 80 mm-hmm. or something like that. And so there's a, a race or, you know, deliberation for who's going to take the leadership role on. And then, but, and then on the other hand, in the news a couple of days ago is the, the youngest member of Congress is 25 years old, um, flat broke basically with, with no current job and he can't get an apartment in DC because he has no credit rating or very bad credit. rating. So <laughs> he's got more struggles than just becoming the new leader. He's got struggles just getting a place to sleep. Yeah, it's um, it, but there is a classic clash of cultures, and I think that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you look at you know you look at what happened after World War II in Japan. There was a whole cultural revolution which focused on technocrats and as opposed to autocracy or or democracy. It was techocracy where people were actually in, in charge of things and from a governmental perspective, and they were experts in that in those domains. They weren't secretaries. They weren't, you know, figureheads or, you know, your turn. Um, they weren't just parachuted in in a political whim. They were, people were in charge and they had um, and they had a technical understanding of the thing they were supposed to do, which is why Japan boomed after World War II. Um, but we're still seeing this right now in terms of how cultures are coming in with, I mean, COVID has, has uh, for example, uh, exposed a lot of companies to virtual or remote working where you can work from home. And now that it's disappearing, uh, or at least some of the perceived boundaries to working in the same office space are disappearing or becoming used to it or whatever the right answer is. Well, there's clearly yeah, some a companies more than others. I think some of the, correct the old guard is saying, Oh, I have to have my people here. I got to see what they're doing. I, it's that right. coffee coffee station conversations that are the quarter of our business. And I don't think there's much evidence for that anymore. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a point to, you know, teamwork and, you know, humans, every human is different by the way, but humans do need social interaction. And Mm -hmm. there's there's probably a middle ground there somewhere, but that's the thing. So there's no leadership. It's not just about, you know, plugging the numbers or get the right percentage about how many, you know, how many hours should be in the office versus at work. It's, and that's what you pay the big bucks to do is to work out what the optimal blend of each approach is and not just come in with a rule or not just copy a percentage that some, excuse me, a, a paper came up with. Um, Ponderous professor type. They're, they're yes. in other disciplines too. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? But, um, I mean, I, I recall from a conversation I had for me, of course, I was running recently one of the one of my students, and it was in face to face course, 
uh, not virtual or online, it's face-to-face, which wow. is cool. Wow, man, good for you. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, and one of their, obviously we were chatting around said water cooler, essentially. And she was talking about how a previous organization, organization she worked at, which clearly had a problem with culture. Uh, there is a round table or an open forum or whatever you describe this, this discussion where essentially the leadership, the old guys who were the leaders, uh, two of their agenda items were, firstly, one, why do young people believe they are entitled to leadership positions? And the second one was, these former employees who have left this, left this organisation and now have created a startup and are doing very, very well at our expense, how do we keep these people in our organisation? And that's a great example of asking and answering your own question in the same breath. Um, but it, it, there is a difference. I, I do believe that the younger people, um, we know that, for example, resigning from a company is not the career killer that it used to be a few decades ago. If you uh, left a company, you needed to be able to demonstrate why you left that company. You needed to be able to demonstrate that you didn't murder anyone or you didn't, you, know, you weren't caught stealing millions of dollars. It was, if you re- left a company, that was automatically suspicious. Um, and that's, well, that's has certainly away. changed. That it has, but that's changed, an example yeah. of. No, at one point I remember it when it way back this twenty years ago is the people that that left to go to another company and about two years later they came back and they're now they're promoted four levels. Mm-hmm. Wait a second, and and the HR people are constantly saying, "Oh, we promote from within." Um, no, <laughs> here's fifteen examples in my own group of forty people that that's not true. Right, and that that's interesting because I think those scenarios are those where you actually a lot got a lot more flexibility in the job interview than the promotion interview, because that conversation you're having with HR recruiting, uh, they are by definition after you, and so you you have a bit more, um, you have a bit more pressure on making a decision immediately and. If you're an if you're a prospective employee, you might not feel under a lot of pressure to join that company unless the you know the pay and salary and conditions are right. And so yeah, it's a bit of a perverse perverse you know process where a lot of companies you get out and you come back in automatically subjecting yourself to um, that HR interview, and all of a sudden you get to not name your own salary, but there's a lot more flexibility involved about how much you're worth. And if you mm-hmm. don't like it, you get to walk away. Yep. Whereas there's a bit of incumbency associated with existing employees and promotional discussions, I would argue. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's a, I think it's an ever-changing dynamic. And given the job market in the, you know, just the flexibility that some, one of my neighbors, he was working for one of the larger companies here in the Bay Area. And, company's doing really really well and mm-hmm. he wanted to move closer to family he says you know i'm working remote anyway i might as well live closer to where my family and my wife's family are and rather than you know the 200 miles we got to drive on weekends to see him for our kid's birthday and i said well your ceo just announced that it's 100 percent in office now it's, it's the way he phrased it i think people will recognize who it is is they said it's uh, you can work from home as much as you want and you should work from home a lot but you need to be in the office for 40 hours a week <laughs> or something like that 
And he I wonder said, who you're quoting. Yeah, and he said, "Well, if he does, if if that's not acceptable for me to work remote, I'll just find another job." His yeah. criteria was, you know, I want the flexibility, and it wasn't necessary leadership, but it, um, there's all kinds of dynamics in that. But I think there's another point here is we often talk about reliability people being leaders independent of their position in the company. And I think that's one of the differences with the old guard, uh, traditional line organizations where there's a manager and a, you know, senior manager and a junior VP and, and it just rank, you know, there's five levels or 10 levels of people for every worker work team of workers is that there's, Leadership is not one-to-one corresponding to management position. It's anybody can be a leader. And I think with reliability, we have to be. We have to to create a leadership genre around ourselves in order to be effective at what we do, to to influence designs, to work with vendors, to spot and solve problems, to do all those kinds of things. That's leadership. And uh, independent if you're a, VP or not? I think the the old guard in the example I talked about, they're just threatened. And their only skill set these days, you know, the, the old white guy in a suit, let's be honest, you know who we're talking about. That guy who's been there forever and he's now in a leadership position because he has lasted the longest. Well, is it is it truly a leadership position or is he just the, the director of something? Right, there you go. So he's been around, he's got... So he's been in that division over there. So he's dealt with accounting. He's been in that division over there. So he has got experience in dealing with the customer. Blah blah blah. And you got this. You got the this, you got the of, parking spot in the corner office and a, right. you know an admin. So so what? He's got this impermeable CV, which everyone says is amazing, which means that he or she is the guy, usually a he. Yeah. But the, the reality is, if you look at Steve Jobs is a classic example. Um, a lot of people loved working at Apple and loved working for him and with him. Uh, but the dude was a jerk and he didn't meet any of the criteria of leadership that you see in most of the textbooks on how to be a good leader. And there's this sort of painfully silent discussion about why that's the case. And you know, my theory, at least, is that people are actually more invested in the ideas of why they go to work more so than the human beings. And one mm-hmm. thing you could say about Steve Jobs is that he was, you know, aggressively focused on the idea of what Apple was all about, which is essentially we're going to put computer technology into devices people didn't know that, was a, that uh, we could do. That we, that people didn't expect us to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. I word that very poorly. You know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, we're, we're going to solve problems for people we didn't know we had. I think it was right. a paraphrase of one of his lines. Right. But it, it was focused on that, but he got out of the way of his technology people. He got out of the way of his supply chain people. They got to make right. decisions. At all levels. Correct. Exactly. So it's about decision making. It's about, I want to turn up to work and Steve Jobs has entrusted me with designing this new screen or keypad or, or getting on top of this battery problem. And that's how Apple worked. The problem with people, if you're an old white guy who says, oh, this younger crew, they believe they're entitled to, to leadership positions, then you need to wake up because almost certainly your organization is an archaic bureaucracy where decision-making is so concentrated at the highest level that no one feels like they have ownership of anything. It's not leadership, <laughs> it's anything. And when people complain about it, you, you host open forums and then rail against young people believing they're entitled to leadership positions. No, well, that's uh, almost it, certainly it, frustrated it yeah, there's, there's one guy I work for, and he wasn't an old white guy, uh, 
but he he was just incensed that I, I got this proposal. My my tech that I worked with happened, to, and I've told this story I know a couple of times. But he had he was carrying the proposal for a fifty thousand dollar piece of capital equipment we wanted to buy for some testing of this new process we're using, and my boss said we got to go through this staff and then he'll take it to the next staff and then that staff will take it to the next staff and then get to the general manager. Well, my tech that I was working with, it was preparing all the details of this sequence of proposals that we're going to do, um, happened to go to the same daycare as the general manager with, with their kids. Mm -hmm. And they knew each other because they'd see each other at a parking lot and they'd be picking up their kids at the same time and, you know, play dates and stuff like that. And, and one day the general manager asked, he had, my, got, Terry had this big bundle of paper. And he says, what you working on today? And he goes, oh, it's something heading your way. Oh, let me see that. Oh, I'll sign that. <laughs> my boss was livid. I don't think he, it was like I pulled the rug out from under his feet and he had nothing to live for anymore. Right. Like, but then, you know, his boss, the guy above him was like, nice move. Saved us all a lot of time. You know, and I was like, I didn't do anything. And people recognized some people in that organization recognized when you took the initiative and and made things happen and made changes and in, in leadership type activities. And others were threatened by it. And it and it was right. what game are they playing? And that's essentially what you know the scenario I was talking about, where those people were simultaneously complaining about entitled Gen Z versus how do we keep these people from leaving our organization? It's, they're, threatened, they're simultaneously threatened by more executive decision-making happening at lower levels because that's the only thing they've got. The only thing they've got is their, their level in the hierarchy, which essentially entitles them to make more important decisions, and that's all they have. That's who they are. And then by the same token, if your company's not doing well, you need to make better decisions faster about what's going on. And the best way to do that is to devolve decision-making, empower younger people, empower the junior people. But you're simultaneously threatened by that. And all of a sudden, um, it, it just doesn't work. So, Yeah, and we've talked about it a couple of times, whereas if you're you know, trying to get a, a, a influence on a design or you're in the reliability planning stages and stuff, and you're trying to to get funding for it and all the other stuff you need to do. Uh, part of that is take on more leadership characteristics and take the charge, but also you need to have cover. You need to find somebody in the senior ranks that will protect your back. will will you know, go, go to bat for you at these meetings you're not invited to. And I think that's a tactic that we've used in, but it doesn't solve the cultural problem. No, in the short term, by any means, there's always uh, retirement. Uh, <laughs> it's either retirement or or, or uh, bankruptcy. Those solve those problems, right? It's it's um, and, and that's the beauty of a startup is that you don't have to deal with the um the constrictive nature of incumbency and and, and the, the bureaucracy, which which uh, allows people to survive and perhaps flourish when they don't have the technical skills, but they're able to manipulate or understand how to exist in a bureaucracy and that makes them valuable as long as the bureaucracy is still there and therefore they defend the bureaucracy and that's why they get upset when you go to daycares and pass on 
good idea to the CEO who signs it on the spot. Mm-hmm. But um, it, 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 I don't know if it's – in a way, it's not really a new problem because I'm sure plenty of, plenty of organizations historically have, um, have let themselves essentially decay slowly or perhaps quickly because they protect the decision-making powers in the, for a small few. But I just, I think these days we, we've introduced the concepts and the labels of Gen Z and Gen Y and millennials, and all of a sudden it's easy to label behaviour and all. And so it's one of the best ways to to protect yourself is then blame an entire generation that culturally thinks they're entitled and don't earn or shouldn't get. Well, it's. I remember my my father years ago was one of my. It was out of the army. And, you know, it was amazing to me is that there's, in the army I was in, in the, in the units I was in, there was less bureaucracy, unless, unless it was a supply chain, you know, trying to buy something uh, for a mm-hmm. unit. Um, there was less bureaucracy than I, ever, than I found at corporate America. And it was my leader, my battalion commander at one, one of my battalion commanders sat me down as I was taking command. He says, the only thing you can do wrong is not make a decision. He says, you can make a good decision and we're all happy and you can make a bad decision and learn from it. And I'm happy. And if you don't make a decision, you're going to get fired. (laughs) You're going to be relieved of command. And whereas when I was in corporate America, it was there were a handful of folks that that was the, you had to run that past them. Here's the triggers. Here's your boundaries. You get $50, you know, uh, what do they call it? Uh, incidental expenses or whatever. You can, you don't have to ask anybody to go buy a pad of paper and a pencil. Um, but if it's over that, you got to ask and you got to go through these processes and all these line controls and all the other stuff. And if you want to change the schedule, you got to ask these people and do all this stuff. And some of those made sense because it impacted larger parts of the organization. But as a supervisor on a plant floor, I had very little flexibility. But that was the game. And then my dad came to visit and he, I introduced him to a handful of people. And he says, well, why are you working here? All these people above you are young. They're going to be here forever and you'll never get promoted. And, hmm, okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't think that's the way it worked because after two years, there was a completely different set of people in the building, you know? And right. The only way to get promoted was to leave and come back. Right. That's <laughs> just, but, um, oh, in a way, it gives you some life skills and some experiences that I'm sure will help. But again, I, I, I just think that, uh, the organizations which tend to flourish. Another example is Tesla. Now, Tesla's a difficult place to work. SpaceX, I think that's the dude who owns them is related to another dude you might have referenced earlier. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, one of, the, one of the best sayings I have there is, sorry, one of the most memorable sentiments I ever heard was, well, it's very flexible work hours. You can work whatever 120 hours of the week you want to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was... Um, that was essentially how you worked there. So why would people stay behind? Again, it comes back to the central idea. If a rocket scientist, look at SpaceX, for example, NASA's just not competitive in terms of generating new ideas and turning them into practical realities. It's, no. just, it's just not. It used to be, but it's not anymore. And so if you want professional satisfaction and you have to choose between NASA and SpaceX, especially if you're a young engineer and you don't have the family yet, it's almost a no-brainer because that's 
you get straight out of high, uh, college or what have you, that's where you're going to go if you and want you that. You can see your rocket take off, yeah. Exactly, and it's landing, it's doing things that no other rocket in the world can do. And it's, it's say the same thing about Tesla. But there is a problem with that, and that is just that if another organization comes along which has the same central idea as that one, like we're going to, another organization wants to build rockets, and it's a better work environment, it's an inherently unstable business proposition. And we know, especially for Tesla, there's a lot of people who started working for Tesla who now happily work in competing organizations yep. with similar ideas. Yep. Um, but the work-life balance is a lot better and everyone knows that. It, but it does go to show, in my mind at least, how important that central idea of why you turn up to work um, what, how important that idea of what the answer to that question is when it, when it comes time to genuine industry-leading magnificence of the organisation. I mean, Steve Jobs is a hard guy to work for, but he had a central idea. He was focused on that idea, and because he was focused on the idea, he wasn't focused on owning the decision-making process. He's, he was so invested in the idea, he didn't have time to make sure he – held the decision-making powers for, you know, which battery, you know, um, alloy you're going to use, et cetera, et cetera. That was delegated. Yeah. Um, well, it, he's demanding. Well, part of, yeah, I think part of the changes, though, is that, you know, my grandfather got a job and worked it for, I don't know, 50 years and retired. And my dad expected to do that. And he started working with a company and, and the founder of the company passed away and he was, and he set up his own shop and stayed with that for the rest of the So he had basically one career with two positions. And when I was coming out of high school, it was expect to have two or three careers, which was right. pretty true for me. I, I, you know, four, I think, if you count the army. And, but today, I, you and I both know people that, you know, are, not even 40 years old yet and have worked in five companies and, and it's not because it got acquired five times. I, I did nope. meet one guy that was in the same exact office for 20 years and he had a <laughs> stack of business cards from different companies that one got bought by another and got bought by another and got bought by another. And it was like, how do you keep track? Cause I don't, <laughs> I just show up and do my job. But it used to be that you got a job and you stayed with it because it provided security, you got benefits, you could pay for what you needed at home, and you just ground through it. You just did your job. And some people, you know, uh, chafed at that, went off and found their own companies or did other things with it, but it was more rare. Now, mm -hmm. there's much more emphasis, and there's a whole lot more money in venture capital, just to name one source of it, of, well, I can, I can start a company. I can start a company online with a computer and that's about it and a connection. And I can go to a coffee shop and start a business. And people have done that and don't even have to buy, buy their Wi-Fi. They just buy a cup of coffee. But they have an idea and they can make it happen. I think the, the capability to, to take on leadership all by yourself is, is enabled more and more people in all ranks to, to say, that's mm -hmm. what I want to do. I don't want to just show up here and do what my boss says. I want to own my work and to take pride in it and all those things. So I think there's all kinds of variables that play a role in this, but it's, it comes down to it's either you take charge or, or you don't. 
and if you want to take charge and the culture is set against you doing that, are, are you willing to change the culture or are you willing to go somewhere else? And I think more and more people are less willing to change the culture because it's not, it's not they're not going to get paid or recognised for it. I remember one organisation I was involved with, I sat down with someone and said, look, here's a good idea and I'm struggling to get it through. And uh, she, you know, she was actually a cancer survivor and she was well regarded in the organisation. She said, look, this is what you need to do. You need to do this, you need to do this, you need to find two or three people who do this and they're going to be advocates and this, that and the other. And she explained how she did. She got something over over the line mm-hmm. because of essentially her tenacity. And why I'm raising it, raising the fact that she was a cancer survivor, because she did half of that while she half this while she's on chemo. That's how. Oh man! Um, <laughs> wow. I know. That's that's how dedicated she had it to be to get this idea across the line. And she got yep a slight promotion for the thing that happened, but nothing, nothing that really reflected um the value to the organization her idea brought and he, she got obviously some some professional reward from it but she, she was sitting there saying this is what you need to do this is what you need to do and i just realized i was going to spend 90 percent of my time um essentially holding campaign rallies for this idea mm-hmm. as opposed to actually making it happen and i went nothing i'm done <laughs> no i'm yeah. not i'm not doing this yeah, but we have options. It's that used to be you get into the company and to get ahead, you had to you know fight fifteen, win fifteen campaigns, and then and then you're you're set, right? But now you don't have to anymore. So anyway, it's right. it's an interesting thing. If uh, you're listening to this, if you're old guard, well, sorry about that. We're just kind of dissing you, unless you're an enlightened leadership position that lets your employees actually have some engagement and ownership and you're fostering leaders within i hope that's the case of course people listening to this podcast are in that realm and but the idea is is that the yeah it's in our own hands you can take on those leadership roles and me personally i found it very rewarding and not always comfortable but very rewarding in a in a very personal way and um and eventually it led to a very enjoyable career got to work with all kinds of people so and mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun so if you've got a comment or a question on it, and as I mentioned in our last episode, is that we're I'm trying to up the percentage of episodes that we have that are based on on comments and feedback and and questions that come into us. But uh, you can head over to ascendoreliability.com/go/sor, and there's a couple of ways you can get in touch with us there. Chris and I and the other hosts are available through LinkedIn and our about pages, and we do sincerely want to hear from you and and. Uh, uh, get some of your input and feedback into the show so it's uh is i don't know i said that a lot of times <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's true so anyway there's there's the thought uh i don't know how to wrap that one up other than say thanks chris good topic out of a conversation you had with with somebody hopefully they know about our podcast now or or we're already well, i don't you know i drop i drop the the website every chance i get there you go that, yeah that's all good um, and everybody else out there should too, by the way, you know, reliability.fm for the podcast venue, but it also brings you to Ascendo Reliability where you can get in touch with us to let us know what's on your mind. So with that, Chris, I, I think we'll wrap it up. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Always a pleasure, Fred. All right. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. 
We invite you to join the conversation. If you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.